It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. My guest today is Tom Schmidt, President, Chairman, and CEO of Ford Air Corporation, a market leader in expedited pallet and truckload transportation across the USA. Tom received his MBA as a Baker Scholar from Harvard Business School, as well as a Bachelor of Arts in European Business Administration from Middlesex University. Originally born in Germany, Tom is a USA citizen, but has liked all things America for over 30 years. Tom Schmidt, welcome into the corner office. Brand, good to be here. Uh, wonderful to have you here. Uh, I hear it's a, uh, maybe a little bit of a wintry morning there where you're based in Tennessee, uh, but uh, I'm sitting in the sunshine in California, but you don't have to envy me because I love your part of the world. <laughs> and uh, I know you've made the South home for a number of years, but I know you're not originally from there. So let's start with your early years. Would love to hear a little bit about where you grew up and you know what your early family life was like. Yeah, actually, I I would say, Brian, I actually am from the south. It just happens to be the uh, the south of Germany. Um, <laughs> That's great. I, was, uh, I love it. <laughs> I was uh, born and raised in a very small town uh, just north of the Lake of Constance, which is oh, the lake between uh, Switzerland, Austria, and Germany. Oh, yeah. Is Typical. that considered Bavaria, Tom? Uh, actually, Bavaria would be about 10 miles east of where I'm okay. from. It's Baden-Württemberg. Okay. You would probably know it through the Black Forest and the oh, Cuckoo's Rocks. Uh, beautiful part of the country there. It's, it's wonderful. It's a great place, yeah. Brian, to grow up. It's a yeah. typical small-town 70s, uh, very quiet. And awesome. also, frankly, in the... At that time, still a little bit post World War II generation, right. so yeah. uh, you had uh, it was a very quiet uh, small town upbringing. Yeah, brothers and sisters, mom and dad. Tell me a little bit about them. Yeah, so uh, my parents are very down to earth, and uh, I can say this with a lot of pride. Very good people, um, and uh, they just had a lot of confidence in my, my mm -hmm. one brother and myself. Uh, kind of, you guys figure it out. They never went to college. My brother and I did, yeah, but uh, yeah. they just gave us. A lot of just good values, hopefully, mm. uh, and then uh, a lot of confidence uh, on our way. What were their professions? Uh, mom worked at home or outside of the home? Dad? So my dad had a small uh, shop as an optician. Uh, he, oh. he, so he was one of three in our town. And yeah. uh, so he did live in capitalism and uh, had competition. And uh, my, <laughs> my, my mom mostly did the books for him. She was a bookkeeper. Okay, awesome. And your brother, younger, older? One year older. One year um, older. So pretty close. Yep. What were some of those early life lessons mom and dad gave you growing up in Germany? I think the the main thing is, uh, I mean, and I saw it with them, 
you kind of treat everybody with kindness and respect. Mm. Um, and uh, like the types of things I get to exp- uh, to do and explore today where you sometimes run into like very, very kind of famous uh, people that are very kind of high up in the social ladder. Mm. But then you also have like very, very, very basic down-to-earth people. Uh, my parents would treat every single one of them exactly the same way. Uh, oh, if nice. uh, if I talk with the janitor and my chairman of the board or so interrupts me, then I tell him, sorry, I'm in a conversation and I uh, turn to the person I'm just talking to. And that's yeah, yeah. that's the type of values that they, that they lived and I just got fortunate to observe. Very respectful. Yeah, I love that. What about other inspirational people? Were there uncles and aunts, you know, grandparents, other folks that had an impact on you during those early days? Um, so obviously in person, yes. I mean, uh, the uh, my, my family's both both sides actually uh, were kind of carbon copies of my of my parents in terms of values of, of in terms of being down to earth people. Most of them actually never moved more than like thirty miles from our hometown. So <laughs> very typical a, European. Yeah. yeah. So it's uh, very it's very different from I'm, I I don't fit in very well that way. But I also had <laughs> I had one inspiration uh, brand that uh, that kind of uh, got me onto a path that was a bit uh, less local than uh, than the rest of my family. So I I grew up as I said in the seventies, and then you have to imagine um, that's still. Post World War so II yeah. Germany, yeah. and uh, right. people are kind of quiet. It's you're not very kind of uh, rah rah. You're not very kind of full of uh, pride, and so because you're still a little bit reserved because obviously of uh, what Germany had done a few decades earlier, which yeah. was horrible. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so, uh, but then I got uh, fortunate. I listened to uh, American Forces Network (AFN), oh, and I listened okay. to uh, Casey Kasem's Top Forty. Uh, <laughs> At what age, Tom? I was uh, uh, just. Becoming a teenager, so oh it's my like gosh, 11, 12, 13. So it was like the uh, <laughs> mid seventies, late seventies, and uh, oh, yeah. and I always like this uh, whole notion of like here's three ways to do things, or uh, versus perhaps in Germany at the time, here's three reasons why something cannot be done. And uh, mm. the uh, as you remember, Brandy, the Finnish always like keep reaching for the stars, That's but also, right. That's but also, right. but very inspirational, but also stay grounded right so yeah. you know, he always finished with like uh keep reaching for the stars and keep your feet on the ground and i think that's a yeah. That, yeah. that stuck i mean it sounds a bit cheesy but it stuck with me and it actually does it did want me to to branch out it did want me to to mm. stretch and uh and, and ultimately actually that whole dream of uh becoming part of this can-do society of being able to 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 stretch and go to the u.s started with me listening to Casey Kasem stop That's 40. great. You got some very early American culturization, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, I, I did. It. I love it. Were you a good student in school? Yeah, here's the, uh, this is, this sounds almost uh, uh, boring, but so I was academically perfect. Um, I uh, am <laughs> uh, high school, perfect graduation score, uh, first class honors in the UK, Harvard Business School, Baker Scholar, which means like wow. top of the class. But, that, wow. but, but what that ultimately means is that I probably... Uh, if I look back right now, I probably spent ten to twenty percent too much time with books and ten mm. to twenty percent too little time with people. And uh, yeah, yeah. so uh, I was very book smart. But uh, frankly, uh, if I had studied a bit less and uh, spent a bit more time with other people, I probably would have been just fine or better off. Balance, yeah. Were there other things you did? I mean, were you involved in sports, music, theater? So while well, growing up as a kid in Germany, there's one thing that was kind of mandatory, which was to play soccer. Right, um, of so I was a goalkeeper. I was halfway yeah. decent, not great. Um, the uh, the only sp- and I blew up my knee. So uh, oh. uh, the, the only sport I was ever good at was uh, table tennis. Um, oh. 
and uh, and uh, you would probably say ping pong. I ping like pong, sure. I like yeah. calling it table tennis. <laughs> um, and uh, the other thing that uh, really impacted me tremendously was music. Um, wow. I did a lot of uh, tutoring of other kids. I told you I was academically kind of perfect, so I, I spent all of my free time tutoring other kids and. Uh, and then I, all the money I made with that, I I bought records with. I mean, uh. as, as I as I mentioned, <laughs> American you, I, music, I'm sure. American music. I mean, all all the stuff that I picked up, Carl Douglas and whatever else, and Kung Fu Fighting and whatever else. So, the uh, the 1970s disco music. So, uh, um, but a lot of the things I picked up on Casey Kasem Top 40, I spent a lot of money on afterwards. So, so. The, the tutoring was academic tutoring, I presume. Yeah, that was. Yeah. It was. It was yeah. like teaching other kids Latin sure. and math and. Yeah. Whatever, yeah, yeah. yeah, awesome. And uh, what about any other entrepreneurial things? You know, growing up in Germany is a little bit different in the U.S. You know, the U.S. kids will have a paper route or sell things at Christmas time. What was there that type of an activity as well, or did your entrepreneurial interest come later in life? It came later in life. I mean, yeah. like, but you also have to imagine. So, uh, when I say lots of tutoring, I, I literally mean three days out of five, four days wow. out of five. So that was really your extra time then, yeah. Yeah, I spent tons of extra time on that. Yeah, and uh, yeah. But I mean, then I'll, I got my rewards, right? It's so good I mean, pocket I, money. I, I, <laughs> and, all, and all those LPs, right? I bought, and, and I still have them. Uh, if I opened uh, uh, I one of it. my cabinets, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds oh, of them. Oh, that's great. And, that's uh, fantastic. But uh, the other thing that actually it did help me to get started with is, um, I don't know what music means to you, Brian. To me, music is almost like, almost like religion. So I do some of my best thinking to music. I do most of my best work to music. I today still sit on an exercise bike with my favorite music on and write long memos to people it. on my Blackberry. I, I still have a Blackberry. So, uh, but, uh, so yeah, I mean, I got the early rewards from, uh, all that tutoring by what I got from the music that I bought from the money. You know, I, I work with music all the time, and it does mean a lot to me. You know, I worked with Disney for a number of years before I got into recruiting, and we are in the consumer product side. And we used to say that Disney music was the glue that bound the magic together, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's really true in life. I've always found, you know, cool, comforting music or rock or whatever it is, you know, for the specific moment just gives you that little bit of extra perspective, right? And uh, enjoyment with your surroundings. And a spring in your step. That's right. That's right. So you did a lot of tutoring. Uh, when you got into school, you came to the U.S., obviously, for graduate school, but you did your undergraduate in, in the U.K., is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. I mean, so, uh, but it, it, it took me a short while to get there. So after high school, um, I did something which I would still uh, do. I followed my heart at the time. And my heart actually, I mean, I mentioned all the tutoring I did during high school. So I wanted to become a teacher. And so I oh, went fantastic. to University of Heidelberg, which was one of those old classical universities. Wow. And uh, so, and it's older than the United States. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. uh, and so I think it was back to like 1386. And uh, wow. so I studied English literature, German literature, political sciences. And then I sat in those huge auditoriums and those professors told us like, hey, enjoy the time while you're here, because once you're done here, you're all going to be Unemployed um, because uh, <laughs> there's this, no jobs for this, you. <laughs> this was this was the time of uh, of when uh, Germany had way too many teachers, and uh, oh so this would, would have been the mid '80s, and uh, yeah, yeah. and so I thought like this doesn't quite work for me. So I've got I could study anything because I had the perfect grades, and uh, and right. so I wanted to become a teacher, but it seems like that's not gonna work. So and that's when I got lucky. I uh, I picked up uh, some. Uh, 
leaflet that talked about international business studies. When I heard international, oh. I thought like, okay, that gets me one That's step, me. <laughs> one step, one step closer to the states. At least right, it gets right. me past the border. And so, and then I and uh, it basically was a program which was brilliant. Uh, you spent two years in your home country, two years in one of the associated university countries. I picked England because my English was better than my French. Okay. And uh, and then I spent two years in Germany, two years in London. But all in all countries, Germany, wow. Spain, France, England, kids did the same curriculum for four oh, years. Great. And then at the end, uh, you got- oh, Were you with the same cohort the whole time? Did you move around together? Yep, to the oh, that's fantastic. So, so you really got to know them pretty well. Oh, yeah. And it was very international. And uh, and then oh. you ended up getting two degrees. So I got a British degree. I got a German degree. Oh, and awesome. uh, to me, that sounded, if, if you had told me after high school, study business, I thought, well, that's boring. But then <laughs> but then once once you say like, well, it's, but it's international. And you got like a little uh, mini uh, kind of United Nations in, in, yeah. in the classroom and uh, that, I thought, that sounds more like and that's what took me to London right and that that's what took me to uh I guess one step closer to the states because uh, uh I ended up um, working for British Petroleum in London and uh, my boss's boss's boss was US American and that's, okay. that's and I took advantage of that so so you went to work before you came over to Harvard so was that your first job out of college then yeah, my first, yeah, yeah it, in essence was, so I did an internship with BP, British Petroleum, while, okay. while I was in London. Right. And then, uh, and then uh, they made me a job offer. I was very flattered. And uh, and again, as I said uh, to you, uh, my boss's boss's boss was American. And uh, so I actually stood, stood in front of him and said, like, I'm so flattered uh, to get this offer. <laughs> when you go back to the States after, if I take up this offer, you have to promise me you'll take me with you. Oh my gosh, and, uh, that was bold. That was, and it, and, it, and it worked. It worked. Good for you. Hey, if you don't ask, the answer is no, right? Yeah. No, this is, I mean, this is one of those early life lessons, right? So you just need to stretch and you need to kind of, uh, and uh, and to to his credit, uh, Hugh Hanna was this gentleman's name. Uh, I started uh, with BP right after graduation from uh, Middlesex University in London. And uh, then three months after I started, uh, this uh, gentleman who, again, he was like five levels up from me. He came into my office and said, "Like, Tom, uh, I remember um, when when you <sighs> took this when you took this offer. You you uh, asked me to take me uh, to, with you when I, when I went back to the states. I'm going back. Uh, the offer still stands. If you want to come wow. along, you come along. And uh, which, by the way, is, is wonderful, right? Here's somebody who doesn't have to, but yeah, he, this right. is a but this made is an a, impression." This is somebody who, who made a, made a commitment and kept yeah. it. But but you made the impression. I mean, you know, you you took the risk. You you made the statement, and uh, you know, you obviously uh, made that uh, made that impression that led to that invitation. Fantastic. Well, did you have leadership responsibilities early on then at BP? Because you went straight into them, and you worked for a number of years, right? Before you went back for your masters, or or tell me a little bit about that early career path. Yeah, it was a couple of years. It was actually a very it was a very short time. However, right. it was very interesting. So in London, when I was the few months I was there, I did like the highest level spreadsheets you can imagine which is uh, lots of lots of math on a computer which is like how many millions should bp spend in switzerland versus wow. australia on upgrading their retail gas stations uh, somewhat intellectually challenging but as obviously a paper pushing job then when i went to the states i got the exact opposite and that's brand to your point about mm. leader, leadership uh, yeah. experience so they gave me Downtown Cleveland retail territory, which, oh my gosh, which means, threw you right into it. 
which means you got 16 gas stations in the middle of downtown Cleveland. Now, Cleveland is not the easiest city. No. Um, so, uh, and, uh, <laughs> you but, got uh, baptized by fire, as we yeah, say. Yeah, so right? I, I loved it. So, um, I mean, I got oh. those 16 stations. I I uh, I experienced everything, right? So I mean, you have to imagine there's this. I was 24, um, and uh, there's these very seasoned retail station managers, and uh, they did they like, report to you what was that the first time you started managing people? Yeah, they reported to me, and wow. then uh, you have to imagine like these. They like they look at me like, who's this guy with, this, a, German, yeah, with, a, with a German international accent? kid that shows up that's half my age, right? And, and has, a, has, an, has a weird <laughs> accent, right? So yeah, and uh, right, so right. and uh, but uh, yeah, I learned a lot, right? So I'm like, yeah. I learned to like. Well, if I I have to earn the respect of these people, right? It's not yeah. it's not the title. It's like, can I make their job a little bit lighter? And uh, yeah. um, and uh, and there's mm. and all the stuff that I, like that's. What were some my, of the other leadership lessons? I'm interested about that during those first few years. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I mean, the uh, the the one lesson is, I mean, you just really, really have to roll up your sleeves and and and, and do something. I mean, there's yeah. there's there's inventory walking out of my stores. There's a there's a there's a three o'clock in the morning call about oh uh, your station on East 12th just got robbed oh my gosh. and the TV's already there right so and uh, and uh, so one of those lessons clearly is like well just roll up your sleeves and 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 and, and do your very best because I mean right now you're you you need it here so it um, it's a yeah. real job and uh, yeah. other other lessons just back to this gentleman who brought me to the U.S. I mean no matter. Um, whether who you give this commitment to, whether it's a small child or so, or whether it's uh, your boss or so, keep commitments, right? I mean, right. I I will always be grateful that this gentleman made a commitment, remembered, and kept his commitment. Right. Um, yeah. So that clearly was something that uh, that stuck with me, and uh, I, I just think the other thing is is uh, you always have to add value. Don't don't mm -hmm. rely on your title, right? I was these people's boss, but. They could have just—I mean—they could have had their fun with me and just made sure that I—they couldn't give me the time of day because sure. ultimately they're needed, and I, I was replaceable, right? So, but when I left uh, BP later on, they—they um, <laughs> they took out a billboard at the Cleveland Indians baseball game and uh, it's like and said, "Thank you, Tom Schmidt." And uh, oh. so, so wow. and uh, I felt like, hey, they—they they must have felt. I recognized did, it. I did yeah. something to make their job a little bit yeah. easier, not harder. And I uh, love it. And so, uh, but uh, I think earning the respect of people, making sure you actually, you add value, you actually uh, don't just uh, have a title. There's a lot of kind of this down, down earth. And, uh, and the other thing, frankly, is, is uh, whether you are, I was there only for about a year uh, running these gas stations, whether you were somewhere for a day, a year or a lifetime, I always, um, and this is something that stuck with me from kind of making a small difference in, in support of these station managers, make, leave a place better than you found it. I felt in a small way, I left this place better than I found it. That's so important. Yeah, make that impression. Um, with regards to previous bosses, I'm sure you've had some good ones and, and perhaps some not so good ones as well. Uh, were there any lessons from the latter? And you don't need to name any names, but things that you maybe <laughs> observed and you said, gosh, you know, I'm going to really do things differently. Do you remember any of those? The one thing I should say is, I mean, uh, I was very, very fortunate. I mean, the, uh, when you said like, there's some good ones and some not so good ones, the good ones in my mind, <clears throat> and I can say at least uh, a couple of... Uh, Names and companies like McKinsey, BP, FedEx. I mean, I was very, very fortunate that uh, right. um, there was a lot of strong kind of support culture. They, these bosses did everything 
possible to make me successful, right? So it gave me the right tools, gave me the right skills, gave me a lot of confidence, like my parents did on my way, made sure that uh, I was set up to succeed, not set up to fail. They really and, poured into you. It sounds yeah, like. and yeah. also always with a kind of what I call a people-first culture. At FedEx, yeah, we always yeah. said like people, service, profit in that sequence. Take care of your own people who then will go above and beyond to provide exceptional service, which then ultimately will result in profits. People, service, profit, always in that priority order. And uh, so that stuck with me. Now, to your point, Brian, about not so good. Um, and uh, yeah, I won't name names. There's uh, there's, <laughs> there's two that stand out that where I'd say like, please let me also, I mean, this is also the good thing. Like when you're fortunate to to take life lessons and you're ultimately you're you're fine, you're in a good space, I'm in a very good space, uh, very fortunate that way. Then then also take the lessons from those tough experiences. Like one right. is, uh, uh, when you're in the surprise business, that's not a good thing. We're in, we're in all sorts of different businesses, but we should not be in the surprise business. Like when I when I was le mm. leading a company and I was, was giving my best, I was looking to support those around me, and uh, I felt I've, I had the support also from my bosses, um, and then suddenly uh, you find out you lost that support, yeah, and then you kind of, yeah. and then you kind of uh, get into a room, and there's the chief legal officer and a uh, board member in the room, and you know um, that's going to be my last day in the office here. <laughs> right, um, right. So, and not by my choice. And frankly, I had I had no way of seeing it coming. And so mm. that's a that's where like don't fail people like that. I mean, stretch them, grow them, look right. for three ways to make them successful. Don't don't be in the surprise business. And, yeah, uh, yeah. and I, I, I was part of the surprise business. So, uh, yeah, and uh, yeah. the, other, the other one is, is uh, I think also you can, you can look at the same person and you can look at how, what can I possibly do to make this person all they can be versus focusing in on their shortcomings. So uh, mm. one of my early bosses at uh, McKinsey, actually, which overall was a great apprenticeship, um, but he like, well, you're not intellectually curious enough. Well, at the time, I didn't even know what intellectually curious <laughs> enough was. Um, I was certainly not dumb. I mean, I'd mentioned, no, you, before, obviously not. <laughs> mentioned to you before, I, I, I aced everything I could possibly ace uh, when it came to right. Booksmart. So, right. um, and, uh, but there's no, there's no point of kind of making someone less than what they are or could be. I mean, no. you stretch them, right? So, and uh, right. you still give straight talk, you still tell them what it is, but uh, but uh, telling someone you're not intellectually curious enough, well, I mean, it's kind of, <laughs> what, what, what do I do about that? Yeah, right. So, right. How, do you, how do you build on that? Yeah. That's difficult. Well, you're obviously been very successful in your career, worked for some terrific companies. You've mentioned a couple of them, McKinsey, FedEx, of course. And, um, you know, now, of course, CEO and president, and re recently named chairman. Uh, congratulations on that on Forward Air. Now, Thank it's a company growing, very profitable. We spoke a week or so ago about how that company's proceeded. But um, this is your first CEO job. And I guess a couple of questions on that. Did you expect and kind of have your eyes on that early along? Or did you just kind of, you know, enjoy the journey as you went along in your career with all these terrific companies before coming to Forward Air? Yeah, so I mean, this is also one where I think just, you should, I mean, and you mentioned the enjoying the journey versus yeah. uh, kind of uh, having the destination in mind. I'm not sure whether it's an, and or an or like you should you should always look at this and have the destination in mind or you should like enjoy the the ride or so perhaps you should be doing both mm -hmm, i mm -hmm. always had when i when i thought about the leading and about uh stretching myself 
I always thought it would be just absolutely awesome. It goes back to my early dreams about being kind of uh, stretching myself, being in the States and uh, and uh, just being part of this can-do attitude and uh, kind of living my dream there. I always thought of, yeah, it would be a great responsibility if I could stretch myself to be a CEO of a publicly listed company. And uh, to your point, I mean, uh, yes, actually, I had been a CEO before, but it was not a public company. So, and, and, uh, and having this additional dimension where, yeah, I take care of my own people. Yes, I take care of our customers and of our suppliers, but also there's more stakeholders. There's people who should or should not be buying your stock. And there's people who actually recommend to others whether they should or should not be owning this stock. I thought that's a great stretch opportunity for me to how do I actually also interact with those additional audiences and, and additional stakeholders so uh, so to your point I love that possibility of having that chance I was uh, back in Europe for a few years with DB Schenker on their management board after I uh, left FedEx and went to Canada to lead a transportation company there uh-huh. four years ago I went to Europe and uh, I was uh, part of a large uh, transportation company based in Germany called DB Schenker. And uh, I went partially back because it was an awesome job, uh, possibility and opportunity of uh, being part of a big global company again. I also went back because, uh, frankly, my parents are still back there, and uh, this was another opportunity for me to go back home. Right. And uh, my wife and I talked about it. said, like, hey, if you go back for a few more years, now's a good time. So I did. But uh, while I was there for more than three years, it was very clear to me, ultimately, I would go back home, and home being, in this case, to North America, where I chose to go to. I'm a proud U.S. citizen. I've been right, here for, right. th- for three decades. Yeah. Um, we just, as a company forward there, we tag teamed now with uh, veterans uh, for kind of honoring those that keep us safe here. So there's a lot of uh, goodness in this country, and this country gave me so much opportunity. So this is home for me. So I knew I would want to come back to North America. I knew I had spent 20 plus years in the logistics and transportation space, and uh, I kind of had a sense of how to profitably grow teams, whether it was at FedEx or whether it was at PureLight or whether it was at Schenker in Germany. So, and I'm also fairly well connected. I like interacting with people. I mean, I learned my lesson from what I mentioned before, where if I could do it over again in college or in graduate school, spend 20% less time with books and 20% more time with people. <laughs> a so l- little more so, of the journey. So oh. I'm doing that now because I kind <laughs> of, I'm, 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 perhaps I'm now intellectually curious enough to actually pick up on things. And uh, so I actually say like, okay, let me spend more, more time with people. So I connect a lot of people. So there's, there were people in recruiting network, some of your peers, uh, Brandon, in the recruiting world, who knew if there was a profitable growth opportunity for a logistics company somewhere in North America that was looking for a leader that uh, I would be raising my hand to like, check me out and at least give me a chance to compete for that. And uh, so that's what happened. So a year and a half ago, I got a chance to compete for this awesome role here at Forward Air. And uh, and then this became my new professional home at hopefully awesome. for many, many awesome. years. Well, you got your grounding in logistics with FedEx. Now, were they a McKinsey client? Is that how you got uh, wrangled in there? Or was that also a recruiting uh, uh, placement? 
Yeah, quite the opposite. So, yeah. the, uh, so when I was at uh, McKinsey, actually, so I'm based here now. You mentioned uh, Tennessee-based uh, company. Forward Air is a proud Tennessee-based company. However, our support team here, including myself, we're in Atlanta. So, uh, okay. and uh, I was actually, this is my second time in Atlanta. I was here in the 90s uh, after graduate school in Boston for uh, five years with McKinsey. Um, right. and, uh, and it just happens to be I got into the transportation practice. Okay. So uh, yeah. many of my clients were large transportation companies. And that's how a recruiter who recruited at that point for FedEx found me. Somebody, yeah. So, yeah. somebody who knows problem solving, but also knows the industry, at least as a consultant in my case. So yeah. that's how FedEx found yeah. me. Fantastic. Well, you've had a terrific career and you were at FedEx in the early days, the really high growth days too, right? Kind of 99 through uh, the fir first decade or so of the century. Yeah. So it was, it was cool. I mean, because I got yeah. involved with FedEx just when FedEx became more than FedEx Express. They, right. they bought right. RPS, a ground company, yep. freight companies, freight forwarding companies. And then Fred, then Fred yeah. Smith, I mean, I was very fortunate. He asked me like, hey, can you put a sales support organization together that actually spans across all these different operating companies. And so, so uh, I got a great opportunity early on and uh, um, was very grateful for that. And uh, ultimately, actually even got to write a book about some of my management leadership oh, experiences awesome. that Fred Smith actually wrote a forward for. So oh, that's uh, great. What's the name of the book? Simple Solutions. I wrote it with a good Solutions. friend of mine called Arnold Pearl. And uh, it's actually a also a reflection of my own journey, Brent. Um, so uh, I was born probably very much left brain, like very German, very nerdy, very boring, very kind of analytical. Um, and then I, in especially also in Memphis with uh, getting involved with the Chamber of Commerce, uh, looking to make a difference in a community that, yeah. uh, that needed someone actually to roll up their sleeves and kind of get engaged. And uh, um, I became Chamber of the uh, Chamber of Commerce board chair and they changed the bylaws so I could do it longer. And then I got involved with the ballet there and I'm still yeah, sponsoring fantastic. a dancer at the ballet in Memphis and uh, her, the leader of the ballet is a good friend of mine. Yeah. Um, and that these people taught me that yeah, it's great to be left-brained and to be analytical, but there's also something about the long and winding road. There's also something about passion and about kind of emotions. And uh, and so, and the book Simple Solutions is about, hey, can you tap into your left side of your brain mm. and also into your right side of your brain? And then that, that way you actually tap into all of it. And chances are you're actually going to be more successful and you'll have more fun on the way. So, and uh, that's what we'll this make sure. Yeah, make sure you send us a link for the book. I, I want for our audience to be able to access that. So we'll put that uh, in the bio. So those of you that are listening, uh, if you want to know more about uh, Tom's book, uh, please read the bio on the bio page and, and we'll create a link to where that uh, can be viewed and purchased. T tell me a little bit about how your leadership style has evolved, Tom, over time. Yeah, so I mean, uh, I think the basis of, of, what I, of that would be what I just mentioned. I mean, there's probably... Um, balance from uh, analytically focused, yeah. which I will always keep because that, again, that's an and, not an or. I mean, it's not like, let's not tap into this 50% of your brain, let's tap into that 50. No, no, why don't you tap into 50 plus 50, right? right. Instead of these right. versus those. So that certainly one piece is like, let's make sure it's there's, there's some passion, there's that there's some purpose uh, in addition to the analytics and, and the math. Um, the other thing is in terms of... Uh, I guess when you talk about leadership styles, early on, you're closer to things. You tend to be, I certainly, with, with uh, all of the McKinsey background, you kind of 
become very directive, micromanaging. Mm. To some extent, I was told that I, micro, I micromanaged people. If you ask my colleagues now, they prop, they hopefully would tell you. I mean, that's the audience is the judge, not me in this case, but uh, they would hope, <laughs> hopefully tell you that, uh, hey, he gets quite involved, quite uh, quite quite kind of surgical, quite detailed in spaces where he really believes he can add a lot of extra value based on his experience. Mm. Um, we are in the precision execution business here at Forward Air. It's, uh, it's, the, it's a premium kind of, a, when it's bigger than a box and it really matters type product. So, so I, I want to make sure our team is very precise because we're in that type of a business. But uh, at the same time, um, I use something that's called the skill-will matrix a lot. If somebody who works with me um, is extremely skilled at what she does, then what she may need from me is support, making sure that the audiences and the other people kind of uh, are part of this. I give her a mandate. But what she does not need is for me to to draw Gantt charts for her or, or make right. make sure or like give me your activity list for the week uh, because she's very skilled at that, right? So she, I might have to help her with like some championship cheerleading, making sure the organization right. supports what she does. But I don't need, need to teach her the job that she knows to do better than I do, right? So this is very – you have to recognize skill-will-wise, highly skilled. Then they may need a little bit of uh, motivation. They may need some cheerleading. Otherwise, just get out of their way. If they're, yeah. if they're highly willing, but the skills are not there, that's when I need to – okay, let me just sit down with you, spend half a day, and just plow through this together with you because you are super willing to get this job done first class. However – you don't have all of the experience and expertise that perhaps a couple of our colleagues have or perhaps that I have. And that's when I need to make sure that we are adding the skill to the will, where the will is already there. But if the skill's there, then let's not micromanage someone who knows exactly what they should be doing. Talk to me a little bit about um, company culture. Now, you came into a company. You've been there a year and a half or so. It was well-established. It's NASIC-traded. But, you know, a CEO really does drive the company culture. You know, how do you kind of do that coming in as obviously uh, a, a fairly new CEO in that role and, and you know, a company that's well-established? So, I mean, when you say, like, tell me a bit about company culture, I think the first thing that, 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 that comes to mind is culture matters a lot. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. so this, uh, and I mean, you and I can both look at all these studies where, like, uh, companies with strong cultures have strong performance over time. And I mean, there's, there's a lot of documentation that culture is, is not fluff. Culture is reality. Culture That's is right. actually a performance enhancer. So, uh, um, so culture matters, and the right culture matters a ton. And frankly, I mean, people look at leaders and look at the guy or lady at the very top, like, what type of culture um, does this person actually want to put in place here? And so, for me, it's a whatever is a, what's a big deal is is most of us here, whether it's Forward Air or whether it's your company brand, we spend most of our waking hours during weekdays either at our work or going to our job or going home from our job. But it, this is mo mostly what we spend our our waking hours with. So so we better make it count. When I say better That's make right. it count, performance matters, but there's got to be a bit more than just performance. I mean, there's the, all these books written about not just the what and the how, but also the why. So, and that's exactly right. So, so why are we here, right? Mm -hmm. So, and uh, I picked up a whole bunch of uh, great lessons from great companies. I mean, there's a, a company in Minneapolis that uh, when I was at FedEx, we dealt with a lot called Medtronic. 
So uh, now when you, uh, and I'm not a spokesperson for Medtronic, nor do I own shares. So this is uh, completely without any type of uh, selfishness here. But uh, so when you go to their headquarters and you walk in there, it doesn't say we're Medtronic and we make stents or right. we're Medtronic and we make pacemakers. In fact, you actually walk in there and then you ask someone, like, what do you guys do? Oh, that's easy. We save a life every three seconds. Wow. And, uh, and so <laughs> that's powerful. Like, oh, okay. Well, and uh, yeah. and that, and whether you're the janitor or whether you're the chairperson or so, I mean, the fact that uh, they all look at you, they stand up straight and say with pride, oh, we save a life every three seconds. Right? Simple, so, straightforward, and, uh, and, and meaningful. And, yeah. and you just do the math, right? I mean, they did the math, how many uh, surgeries and whatever else they do and how many lives are saved. And then they and they drive that number up. And the first time I met people at Medtronic, it was every six seconds. Now it's every three seconds. And uh, so, <laughs> so They do a revision on that. Yeah, well, what's, and, what's unusual or unique about Ford Air's culture? Well, and same here, right? So, yeah. the, the, so, so I could tell you like, oh, we move pallets. Well, we do move pallets, right? So, but uh, what else do we actually do? Well, I mean, like we also impact people's lives because we actually make the economy run for things that are bigger than a box, better, more precise, and faster than anyone else in this country. And uh, so, and that you make people's livelihoods possible that way and make them make it easier that way. The other thing we do is, is because we are primarily a U.S. company. My wife's Canadian, so I should say we're also a Canadian company because we right. do have some presence in Canada. Um, but uh, it's primarily across the U.S. with uh, drivers that are independent contractors, with our own employees, so thousands of people. We are in every community. Mm. So we all said like, well, because we live and work in all these communities and we're looking to make a difference in the in the livelihood and the economies that, that, that these uh, communities represent, well, let's roll up our sleeves and do something. We have trucks, we have people, we have great people, we have a great attitude around us, which is also why I joined this company, a very, very strong people culture, which for me, as I said before, is super important, people, service, profit, and that mm. priority order. So let's make our presence count. We actually have hundreds possibly even more than a thousand veterans on our employee oh, uh, roster. So these people, uh, I mean, they, they do everything possible to keep us safe here in this country. So yeah. let's go out of our way to to thank them and pay back. So we just got involved in a company-wide support of veterans and uh, making sure that we actually make their lives a little bit easier. Um, and uh, again, because we have hundreds of them on our roster and because, I mean, we are surrounded by people who uh, take care of us and our safety. So, okay. how, uh, how many total employees at uh, Forward Air now? So, we have about 8,500 8, people, wow. but uh, yeah. some of them are independent contracts. Yeah. They're not our employees, but about five, and so forth. Yeah, yeah. five and a half thousand are our own employees. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, you know, we're just about out of time, but we do have a couple other questions and talking specifically about employees. Tom, what do you look for when you're making bets on the people you invest in and hire? The uh, the first thing is is always the uh, I mean this is the whole notion about will and skill right so uh, will I and always skill. I, I always hire for but but it's not the same so I always yeah. hire for will I can always teach skill what I mean by yeah, that is I, like I want good intentions and it's got to be bright upstairs if I've yeah. got somebody yeah. where it's bright upstairs and they, they have good intentions I'd go out of my way to do mm. everything possible to make them successful right so yeah. and uh, and this is where like. Uh, I place bets on those people. Like if you if yeah. you show me a can-do attitude, uh, if you have great intentions, uh, please do not play games with me. Life's too short for games. Um, I go out of my way to make you successful. Mm. 
That's fantastic. Have you had others along the way say to you what you said to that BB, BP executive and others? Hey, take me with you. <laughs> <laughs> I want to work with you some point down in the future. Has that I, happened to you? Uh, it has happened to me, actually. Yeah. And uh, I just hired a, a, a great guy who's uh, managing our growth initiatives. And uh, when I left D.P. Schenker to come back home to North America uh, a year and a half ago, he and I took a road trip and we went to uh, one of our favorite bands, the XX, in the middle uh-huh. of no, nowhere in Germany. And uh, and on the way back, I said, like, I don't know yet f- for sure, but it seems like um, what we're going to be needing with this company I'm joining is a whole push and a whole boost of growth programs because this company mm. is so great at what it does of moving things bigger than a box, better than anyone else in the U.S., but it can do so much more of it. And you just have led with me, uh, Stefan is this gentleman's name, a growth initiative here at DB Schenker, and uh, we might need something similar there. And then he just told me like, well, um, when you're ready, give me a call. And uh, so, so, <laughs> so you did. <laughs> uh, so I did, and he's here now. So uh, I love it. So I love uh, it. But uh, and uh, and again, the the main thing is is whether it's a journey or something for yeah. a day or for a year or for a lifetime. Is uh, he left that place better than he found it, and uh, and uh, I hope that that's something uh, where the people. When you talk about people and placing bets on people and what type of people I'm looking for, uh, it's people with that type of can-do attitude, but also people who would ultimately always have the intention of leaving a place better than they found yeah, it. Yeah, fantastic. Well, last question, Tom, and we ask all our CEO guests this: What, what career and life advice would you give to someone that has their own eyes on the corner office someday? Yeah, so it's actually interesting. So we had uh, in June, Brand, we had our 25 years on the NASDAQ celebration, wow, cl- closing the NASDAQ in New York. And then uh, we had, uh, so when, as I was pushing with my hand on that on that button, closing the trading day, <laughs> there was also a class of, uh, of like young professionals uh, in the back of the room, not forward air people, but uh, another company. And then uh, the gentleman there at NASDAQ asked me that exact same question. And then mm. I said, and it goes back to my wanting to become a teacher first and uh, and then yeah. changing. I said, like, this one, this one for me is simple. I mean, you follow your your head and your heart, and but you start with your passion, your heart. You got to have your heart in it. You use your head as a filter or as a qualifier. In my case, I started with the heart and the passion. I wanted to become a teacher. After about nine months, when the, the professor told me, like, have fun while you're here, but you're all going to be unemployed afterwards. <laughs> that's when I started, perhaps a bit late, but that's when I started to turn on my head. It's like, well, let me use that as a filter. Yeah. That may not be it. And then I found something, fortunately, with an international business study course yeah. that actually made my head and my heart sing. And that's uh, that's Fantastic. kind of, you start with the heart, use the head as a filter. Mm, fantastic, Tom. Well, Tom Schmidt, CEO, President, and Chairman of Forward Air, thank you so very much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Brand, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.